Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. I want to read a text. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5, and here's what we intend to do. We're we're going to read this text. I'm going to preach a message that has been burning inside of me. I've got some things inside of me I've got to get out today. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been preaching prophetically lately. I know some of you have said, Pastor, you're preaching like we've never heard you before. It's because I'm preaching prophetically. God is laying things in my spirit, and I have to get it out. And so there's some things I've got to get out today. And then, then they're going to come back and sing a song called The Blessing. And when they sing that song, I'm giving an altar call for the whole church because I'm going to be preaching about generations and we've pretty much got them all covered in here this morning. And I am believing with all of my heart that when you come down here, when collectively as a body we get down here and yet standing individually They begin to sing this song and we start crying out to God in response to this word that God is going to do something powerful in this house and powerful inside of you if you'll let him. How many of you like God to do something powerful inside of you today? 2 Timothy chapter 1. I've entitled this message, Who Will Pick Up the Mantle? I almost entitled it, Who Will Slap the Water? You'll see that in a minute. I like that title better. Paul said to Timothy, his son in the faith, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. You notice Paul's reaching back generationally. Do you see that? As my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you, the next generation, in my prayers night and day. Paul is this generation. He's thinking about the previous generation, but he's talking to the next generation. Verse 4, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When, notice verse 5. This is the leaping point for my message. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith, the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice and I'm persuaded that same faith is in you also can you say amen to that word y'all feel this don't y'all y'all feel what I feel in this house y'all be seated I want to preach this morning I don't know if I've ever preached on this like I'm preaching today I'm probably combining three sermons into one But I'm just having to get out what God's put inside of me. I'm preaching today, exploring with you today something that I call generational faith. Generational faith. I want you to take that phrase right now, would you, and and speak it in your mind. Generational faith. Will you do that right now? You may even want to just whisper it. Generational faith. I want that concept to embed itself in your mind and in your spirit. You see, generational faith 
in this passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 1, a grandmother, Lois, gives her life to Jesus. She's not saved. She's in sin, but she hears the gospel and gets saved. Hallelujah. Her daughter, Eunice, is influenced by her mother's transformed life. And so she hears the gospel, and that faith, if you will, is transferred from the mother to the daughter, and she makes it her own faith, and she gets saved. Hallelujah. Then she has a son named Timothy, and her son, Timothy, is impacted by the faith that he sees both in his grandmother and in his mother, Now, his daddy's not saved, so there's a pull there, but thank God the power of God in his mother and grandmother is greater than the power of his ungodly daddy. And he hears the gospel, and he takes their faith and makes it his own faith and puts his trust in Jesus as his Savior. Their faith becomes his faith. And I'm going to come right out of the gate today to say to you, you have to get your own faith. You cannot get to heaven. You cannot live for Jesus on someone else's faith. Listen, if you grew up in a home where one or both of your parents were born again, you don't know how blessed you are. Because there are a lot of people in this room that didn't have that. They wish they had had that. You don't know how blessed you are. However, you have to make your own decision to follow Jesus. You have to make your decision. Someone said that being born in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian any more than being born in a garage makes you a car. That's good theology right there. So how does generational faith work? i got to get this out. There are things I put in red. It's in red print because you've got to get this. How does generational faith work, okay? It is the responsibility of the older or the previous generation to do what? To pass on their faith in Christ to the next generation. That's our job if you're in a generation above another generation. You pass it on to them. And, I'm not finished, it is the responsibility of the younger or the next generation to accept and embrace, and I like to say appropriate, that faith passed on to them as their own. you got to make it your own faith. Ideally, then, that generation passes that faith on to the next generation that follows them and so on and so on. I think one of the greatest examples of this in the old, is in the Old Testament with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, God told Moses at the burning bush, watch this, I am the God of your father. Then he said, the God of Abraham. Watch how he says it. The God of Isaac the God of Jacob. He could have said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
But the Lord specifically said, I am the God of Abraham. And I am the God of Isaac. Same God, same faith. And I am the God of Jacob. Generations. Here's Abraham. He's a pagan. He worships false gods. He's living over in what's modern day Iraq. And he has an encounter with Jehovah. It's life changing. He abandoned his false religions, throws away all the gods, and he starts serving Jehovah, the real God, the only God. As they make their way to what we now know as Israel, he is having conversations with the Lord, and the Lord promises his, him a son in his old age. He and his wife are beyond childbearing years. It is a biological impossibility. But God says to him, if you'll trust me, I'll give you a miracle child in your own age. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God, and what you think is just faith for a child is actually more. He is putting his entire trust in God for everything, and God reckons that faith to be saving faith. Because the Bible says Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him or accounted to him for righteousness. In terms we all understand, Abraham got saved. And so all of his days, Abraham walked in faith. Everywhere he went, he built altars to the Lord, prayed, worshiped God. Then along comes this miracle child named Isaac. Now what you need to understand is Isaac, his son, though a miracle child, was not automatically saved. Did y'all hear me? He wasn't. He had to accept the faith of his father and place his trust in the Lord at some point. And at some point in time, Isaac did just that. He saw his father's faith. He heard the story of how he was born miraculously. He watched as his daddy sent his servant Eliezer back to Iraq, if you will, to get him a wife. He didn't want one of these, these Canaanite women because they serve false gods. And he goes, and Eliezer says, Lord, now I'm going to give you certain conditions, and if you'll send the right woman out, and out walks this beautiful woman named Rebecca. Becky came out. Out walks Becky, and Becky does everything that Eliezer prays, and so Becky, he comes over and starts lavishing her with gifts. There's a great message there as he said, whoever waters the camels, the camels will fill with gold and jewels and, and, and things, rewards for whoever the woman was. And all the rest of the woman, women, they wouldn't do it, but she went over and watered the camels. She didn't know the very camels that she was watering, being a servant, were carrying all of her rewards. He hears these stories because then he brings him back and he meets Rebecca and she's beautiful and he takes her immediately as his wife. All of his days, he's walking in faith with God. I'm sure, I'm sure Abraham told him about the time and, well, he knew it. He, was, he wasn't a child. He, he remembers the time when his dad took him up on a mountain, Mount Moriah, tied him up and took a knife and was about to kill him. And I bet they had a good conversation later. Dad... What was that all about? Kind of like when we have one of those Pentecostal church services, and then you get in a car and you get, Dad, what was that all about? You know what Abraham told him? He said, Son, I've served the Lord so long, I've reached a point in my faith. I didn't want to kill you, but I, God said to do it. 
I'd have took your life right then because God said out of you was going to come a seed and a great nation. I figured if I killed you, God was going to just raise you right back to life. That's what the Bible says, see. What faith? Isaac knew all these stories. When, when Rebecca was barren, he interceded for her, and she bore twins. Better watch if a preacher prays for you to get pregnant. God may double bless you. God blessed him. God prospered him. He built altars just like his fathers did. Father did. Called on the name of the Lord. Generational faith. Y'all seeing this? Then comes Jacob. Ooh, it's not looking good. Jacob looks like the generational faith is about to be ended. He is a self-centered, shrewd swindler. He cheats you out of something as soon as, as much as look at you. Until one day, he has an encounter with, I think, the pre-incarnate Jesus at a place he eventually calls Bethel. And it changes his life. And he starts serving the Lord. He starts building altars, calling on the Lord. He paid his tithe. You know somebody's living right when they're paying their tithes. His children were blessed by his righteous life. You know, they had Joseph, his, he has 12 kids. Joseph goes down to Egypt, becomes second in command of all of Egypt. There's a famine in the land. Joseph goes and gets his brothers and his daddy. He says, come down here. We got all the food you want. That's how they ended up in Egypt. 400 years later, they're a great nation. Not really. They're just a bunch of slaves. And then that's when God says Moses to get them out, right? 400 years. 400. Here's a guy who was the worst sinner in the world. And before he dies, he is so full of God and the power of God that he prophesies and says, I don't know when, but he said the day's coming when God's going to deliver us out of this land and take us back. And when I do, I want you to take my bones out of here and bury them in the promised land. 400-year prophecy. Generational faith. Are you seeing this? I am convinced that God's plan today is the same plan that God had there. Abraham passed the faith to Isaac. He embraced it, took it at his own. Isaac passed it on to Jacob. Jacob accepted it, took it as his own. Jacob tried to pass it off to his kids. I don't know how many of the 12 got it. I know one that did, and his name is Joseph. He's in the Bible. And I think that's God's plan today. God's plan today. He wants the older or previous generation to pass on the faith to the next generation. And he wants the next generation to embrace and appropriate the faith of their father. I want to give you three areas. I'm not done. I'm just getting started. But I got him to quit singing early. There are three areas. There, there, there ought to be a whole lot. But I'm going to give you three. One is salvation. It's the responsibility of the older generation to speak and declare the gospel to the next generation. You hear me? It's our job to tell the next. Listen, if the pastor or, or Pastor Amy or Pastor Evan, the student pastor, the children's pastor, somebody else leads your child to Jesus, just praise God, say hallelujah. But you know who ought to, who ought to be the, on the front line leading their child to Christ? You, parent. Leah and I got to lead both of our sons in the sinner's prayer when they first gave their lives to Christ. That ought to be your job. We have to tell our children of Jesus. Second, we, we need to give the next generation a biblical worldview that counteracts the secular worldview that is thrust on them daily. 
And I know it's a, it's a monumental task because of social media and all they're bombarded with. But I'm telling you today, I still believe in the power of truth. I still believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. And I don't care how much social media influence they have. All it takes is one word from God to help them see the light and realize all that they're reading is not biblical and it's not true and it's not right and they'll cling to God. It's been working for 2,000 years, and social media is not going to stop it now. Truth is truth. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. So we've got to give them a biblical worldview. And third, we must pass on the importance of living in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a Spirit-filled church. We believe in the baptism with the Holy Ghost. We believe in the, the gifts of the Spirit and the operation of the gifts. Listen to me. I've heard this said before, and I'm preaching it. We at High Praises are only one generation away from no longer being a Pentecostal church. We can have it in our statement of faith. We can talk about it. But if the next generation is not getting filled with the Holy Ghost and learning how to operate in the Spirit, learning how to yield to the Spirit of God and praying in a heavenly language, etc., we are not Pentecostal. We've got to pass it on. I've got fellow preachers who won't preach Pentecost and they're spirit-filled preachers. They're Church of God preachers, but they don't want to preach it anymore. I don't know why. I'm going to keep preaching the baptism of the Holy Ghost because that's where the power of God lies if you want to witness, if you want to serve the Lord. None of that has changed in 2,000 years. That's the previous generation's responsibility. To those of you in the younger and next generation, you have to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to choose to live by a biblical worldview that we're showing you instead of what you see and hear in social media and the news and in universities and other secular sources. You have to decide to seek and believe in the baptism with the Holy Ghost. The Pentecostal faith, what has often been called the full gospel, has to become your Pentecostal faith, your full gospel. Because if you don't embrace and appropriate the faith of your fathers, listen, you will then discard and replace that faith with worldliness and sin. We see this in the book of Judges, chapter 2, verse 10. I should have put this on the screen, but just listen to what I read. Judges, chapter 2, verse 10. When all that generation, it was the Joshua generation, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, that means they died, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. The Joshua generation crossed or had seen the miracles of God in the wilderness. The Joshua generation crossed into the promised land when God parted the waters of the Jordan River Supernaturally, and they crossed over on dry ground. The Joshua generation fought and conquered armies and giants just like David did. The Joshua generation possessed the promised land. The Joshua generation had strong spiritual leadership. That generation died. The next generation comes along. They didn't know the Lord. They didn't have a wilderness experience. They didn't cross over anything. They didn't. They had none of that. And somehow, the Joshua generation with all that victory and all of those stories and all of that faith failed to pass it to the next generation. So I didn't read it, but the Bible then says, I think in verse 11, 
that they, they failed to embrace the faith of their fathers and they chose a life of sin. I think this is what it says. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. I have said for years that the most vulnerable generation in the church is the second generation of a believing household. The second generation. First generation, they didn't go to church. They're not saved. Somehow they get saved. They get right with the Lord. Change their life. Change everything about their life. They change who they hang out with. They start going to church. They talk different, act different. They're saved. They're born again. They're transformed. It's glorious. Then they have kids. And the kids grow up going to church. Kids grow up being brought up right. They don't hear cussing and there's no alcoholic at home and drinking and, and all that stuff and, and, and the husband and wife are faithful to one another. They don't, it's a godly home. They grow up in godliness. They grow up in church. They go, you go to church on Sunday. You go to youth group. You go to church activities. It's just kind of life. They keep the kids in church. They raise them in a Christian homes. But here's the problem. The kids didn't know their parents when they were in sin. The children weren't there when mom and dad prayed through. All they've known is God in the church, and that doesn't mean that they automatically choose God. And too often, they've walked away from the faith. Before COVID hit, it was a thing that in the millennials, 25% of them in the surveys that were being done were calling themselves nuns, not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S. When they said, what's your religious affiliation? They said, none. I've walked away from the church. I've walked away from all of that. <laughs> they said, that's my parents' religion. A lot of them said, I want to live my own life. Well, you hear this prophetic preaching this morning. Do you know what happened to the post-Joshua generation? Listen to me. I'm preaching today. They lived in sin. They didn't have time for God. So God sent enemies to come attack them and harass them and make their life miserable, just like God will do that with sinners sometimes. He figures if he can make you miserable enough, you'll realize the error of your ways and go back to him. And that's what they did. When things got bad enough, listen, when they got enough trouble going on, they had enough sense to remember the God of their fathers, and they went running back saying, oh, God, help us, please, help us, God. We're so sorry, help us, God. And so God sent them a deliverer, judges, thus the book Judges. He'd send them a judge like Samson and, and uh, Gideon. And so these judges would come, and by the power of God, they would defeat the enemies, and Israel would get their victory and get freedom. And they, everybody's thinking, whoa, okay, now they're going to go after the Lord who did this for them. Nope, they, they whoo, the pressure's off, the trouble's gone, and they go right back into sin. And so this vicious cycle is evident in the book of Judges. Read it. So they're living in sin, get into trouble, foxhole prayer, God sends a judge, brings them out, right back into sin. Get into trouble, foxhole prayer, call unto God, God sends a judge, gets them out, right back into sin. And they're, listen to me, I've been doing this a long time, that hasn't changed. You grow up in church, but you say, that's not my faith, that's not my religion, that's my mom and daddy's thing, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to hang out with my friends and go clubbing and do all this other stuff, yeah, go ahead. But when you get in trouble, you remember enough to know that you go, you'll call your mom and say, Mama, you need to pray for me. 
You'll call the preacher and say, can I make an appointment with you? I guess I hadn't seen you in six years. Preacher, pray for me, X, Y, Z, I'm in trouble, let's pray. We call out to God, God does a miracle. I'm thinking, whoo, I'm going to see him in church. Your parents say, hallelujah, my wayward child's coming home. And when the trouble ends, you go right, I'm going to say it, you go right back into sin. You get in this vicious cycle, vicious cycle in your life, and you spend 5, 10, 15, 20 years Watch it, because you go ahead and have kids. You go ahead and have another generation, and you're living like that. And one of my favorite sayings, I use it all the time, more things are caught than taught. And they watch what you do, and you raise up a generation that embraces the vicious cycle, and they live in sin, but they learn just enough to call out to God to get them in trouble. And so you live it, then they get it, and you perpetuate generational cycles that is destining you and your next generation to eternal separation from God. That's strong preaching, but I don't know what else to do here. I haven't figured out how to put chocolate icing on that cake There is a better alternative. There is a better way, and I think it's seen in the story of Elijah and Elisha, and I'll close with this. i got to get it out. Elijah and Elisha were prophets. They did not have a familial relationship, but they were connected generationally. Elijah was older. Elisha was younger. Elisha was a prophet in training. Elijah was his coach and his mentor. So Elisha watched Elijah. He watched how he did ministry. He served Elijah. He listened to him. He learned from him. Daily, Elijah was passing his faith in God to Elisha. I love this story. The day came when Elijah's ministry would end and somebody needed to pick up the mantle, which was a prophetic coat that you put on that said, I'm a prophet. And the, and the, and the God-called person was Elisha. But Elijah starts testing him. They get to a city and he says, Elisha, why don't you stay here? I'm going to go on to the next city. You just stay here. You've gone far enough. And Elisha, the next generation, said, I ain't going nowhere. I'm going with you. Because wherever you're going, that's where stuff happens. I'm going with you. I could go. I could stay here, but then I'm going to miss out on God. So he went with him to the next town. He says, well, listen, I'm going the next town. Why don't you? Did that three times. Elisha just said, no, I'm sticking with Listen, younger generation, next generation, I know you got skills. I know you got talents. I know you're technically sa- technologically savvy. I know you got a lot of education, but you don't have experience and you haven't been through the process. You need the next generation's help. I've been there, done that. Best thing you can do is stay right up under him. I had a man named Bobby Johnson that I got right up under him for ten and a half years. He was my Elijah. They get to the Jordan River. 
It's swollen. You can't wade it. There's no boat, no ferry. So Elijah takes his mantle off. Swack! And he hits the water. Elisha's watching. Take the mantle, slap the water. What does that do? I'll tell you what it does. The power of God flows. The power of God comes into your context. This didn't happen two miles down the river or one mile up the river. It happened where the man of God was with the anointing and the mantle. Stay with the man of God. Stay with the generation that has the anointing on them. When he did, the waters parted like the Red Sea did for the children of Israel. This, flow, this side just went flowing on down. Somehow God stopped the flow of water, froze it. And the river bed dried immediately. And Elisha said, I'm going over. You coming? You bet I'm coming. Let's go. They walked over to the other side. The water starts flowing again. Suddenly, there's a noise. They look up in the heaven and something's coming fiery, bright, brilliant. And the closer it get, it gets, it is a chariot being pulled by horses, but it's flying through the air and it's on fire. Everything goes on fire and they're both watching it and the closer it gets, they start backing up enough that they separate from each other and that chariot goes right between Elijah and Elisha. Separates the generation because how many of you know there is a natural separation between generations? It's there. God recognizes the He separates it. And then a tornado, man, it's like the Wizard of Oz. A tornado comes down, picks up Elijah. Doesn't kill him. Picks him up and carries him off to heaven. All because a dude slapped the water. All you think you can experience... You ain't seen nothing yet till you get start experiencing. Listen, put your Facebook, put turn your Facebook off, turn your computer off, and get on your knees and get with the next generation. Get some Holy Ghost power. You really begin to see some stuff in your life. Here's the cool part of the story. He's gone. The next generation is the previous generation is gone. He was doing like the disciples did when Jesus went to heaven. See something falling from the sky. Elijah went up. My God, I felt a streak of glory. Elijah went up, but the anointing came down. Just because the next generation can't do it anymore, and the new generation is the previous generation can't do it, but the next, don't worry, there's plenty of anointing for the next generation. He goes over and picks up the mantle. It's time for him to wear it. <laughs> I love this part of the story. Y'all know I have a sense of humor. He's looking, he went, I can't get back over. You left me here. Is that not what happened? Home's over there. No boat, no ferry, no canoe, no sea-doo. 
Wave runner, nothing. He's stuck. Can't wade over, can't swim it. It's swollen and it's flooded. What am I going to do? He's stuck. Listen, the next generation, with all that you got going for you, if you don't have process and experience, you're going to feel stuck. Evan, can I pick on you? It's a good pick. Evan's my son. He's our student pastor. He is developing a ministry. Okay, so here's a guy that's in full-time ministry with a calling on his life. He's sharp. He's smart. He's smarter than me. He's not wiser than me. No, don't laugh. He's not. Am I right? He's not wiser than me. He knows that. He's not as experienced as I am, but he's smarter than I am. He's working on a master's degree right now. And I've got one, but he's, he's smarter than me. He can, he can ramble off stuff. He's smart. But there are times when Evan will come and say, Dad, I got my first funeral. Dad, I got my first wedding. I don't know what to do. Dad, I got a situation in the department. I need you to tell me what, give me the, give me the advice. And my job as the previous generation is not to tell them, well, you're so stupid. You should know what you're doing. I paid all this money for you to go to AU, get a ministry degree. No, we don't do that. No, I just, I saddled up to him and said, what do you need to know? And I tell him what I need. And then I said, you got it? I said, okay, go do it. You can do this. And we back off and let the next generation do what God called them to do. That's what we do. Because otherwise you're stuck. Listen, parents, we've done a horrible job because we've told our kids, you can grow up and do anything you want to do, and you can be anything you want to be. And they go off, they graduate from high school, and they go to college, and they get out, and they go, I don't know how to do anything. My parents lied to me. They don't. I know what we were trying to do. But maybe we should have told them, you can do anything, but you're going to need a little help on the way. Because somebody helped me along the way. And it's my turn to help you. He's stuck. What do I do? He said, I know what I'll do. I'll do what I watched the last generation do. Evan and I were laughing because some guy was on Twitter. He's a legalistic something or another. I don't know what he he was tweeting. He said, there should not be screens in church. They should only use hymnals. What did they do before there were hymnals? For the printing press. How did the church make it? The next generation is helping our generation do some things. I had learned how to go online. I, I had to learn how to deal with big screens and, and all this. They said, you can't walk up, Pastor, like you did all these years. You can't walk up the steps. I can't? No, you got to come out a door. It's a whole optics thing, how it looks to all those people right now watching us. I said, I do? Yeah, you have to go around and go up the hallway. And I said, I do? I said, okay. I'm the boss. I've learned sometimes I have to do what I'm told. Because they know some things I don't know. And if I'm going to stay cutting edge, they're helping me. They don't even want me putting anything on social media. Let us do that for you. Where's Pastor Gabe? (laughs) 
little church, the pastor knows everything and where everything is. When you get a big church, I don't know squat. People come up to me, Pastor, what do I need to do? I want to sign up for rejuvenate. happened this morning. Lady, come in. I want to sign up for rejuvenate. I just happen to be in guest services. I said, I don't know. The head of security had to help him, her. I said, talk to him. I said, if I tell you, I'll have you signed up for a youth event. He said, I'll do what the last generation. Listen, technologically and all this stuff, Listen, show us the way, but we got some stuff we need to show you like praying and trusting God when everything's going bad and hanging on, hanging on when everybody else is telling you it's never going, and, and walking in faith and learning how to flow in the Holy Ghost and walk in the power, trust God for a supernatural work instead of just giving up. There's some things we can teach you that have been around a long time and they'll be here after you're dead and gone. He picked that thing up and he And he asked a question. He said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? You know what? That next generation wanted what the previous generation had. I want it. I didn't grow up in it. I didn't even go to church, but I got in this church called High Praises. I want that. You can have it. You can have it. You can flow in it. You can get saved. You can get full of the Holy Ghost. You can operate in the power of God. Where is it? Where is it? Oh, previous generation, we better be ready to tell them where it's at. Tell them where it's at. It's in a prayer closet. It's when you go down to the altar. You'll find it in the Word of God. He slapped that water. Where's the Lord God of Elijah? And all of a sudden, a supernatural power entered that context of the next generation. Not one mile up the river or two miles down the river, but right there, God supernaturally parted the waters for a second time in the day. And the next generation got to do what the previous generation did. And he walked across on dry ground. When he got across to the other side, I'm, I'm about to close. When he got across, singers, come on, get on here. Hurry, hurry. Where, where'd y'all go? Come out, come out, come out, wherever you are. He, he walks over. There is a school for prophets nearby. All the students called the sons of the prophets are out there watching all of this take place. The sons of the prophets. Listen to me. Pastor T, that's the next generation. Not the school of prophets. It's the school of the sons of the prophets. Am I right? They need a leader. They need somebody to say, yeah, it's okay for us to do what our mamas and daddies did. It's all right for us to take it and run with it. We've been sitting on the bench, but they're going to put us in the game. The sons of the prophets watched all that happen, and they said, "Woo! the spirit of Elijah. Can I preach it, Southern? has done God on Elijah. Done God all over him. That was not an insult. That wasn't an insult. 
that wasn't downplaying the next generation. No, what it was saying was the anointing is still flowing, but it's in the next generation. The spirit that was on Elijah is now on Elisha. It's, it's happening to the next generation. The next, that, you know what that tells me? The next generation is going to preach the gospel. The next generation is going to serve God faithfully. The next generation is not going to bow to this world, but they're going to stand and be culture cultural and say to the world, there is a better way. The next generation is going to get baptized with the Holy Ghost. They're not ashamed of speaking in other tongues. The next generation is going to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. The next generation is not afraid. They're looking for miracles, signs, and wonders. They believe people can get healed. They know drug addicts can be delivered. The next generation is going to carry it on and you know what the Bible record tells us that Elisha went in that anointing and did twice as many miracles as the previous generation did the previous generation they're outdoing us no I can tell you right now, now I'm speaking as a father. Now I'm speaking paternally. I'm like every other dad. I love my boys, and I hope they outdo everything I've ever done in my life and more. I want them to outdo me. I want them to be successful. Whatever I've done in ministry, I hope Evan does five times as much in full-time ministry. No, the, the previous generation is rooting for you, saying it's your turn. You need to get in on this. It's cool. This is good. You got to have this. I want you to stand with me all over this church. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.